Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. Welcome to the Brain People Podcast. I'm Dr. Daniel Vinas, and today's topic is cognitive behavioral therapy for children. And I'm joined by Kristen Henley. Kristen, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm trained in cognitive behavior therapy, and I have a passion working with kids, specifically helping parents to understand cognitive behavior therapy and how to practically introduce it to their children. Well, thank you for joining me today. So I've heard a lot about cognitive therapy, and actually I practice it as a psychiatrist, although my population is really adults. Um, First of all, why don't we just tell our audience, what is cognitive behavioral therapy? So basically CBT, that's short for cognitive behavior therapy, is a type of modality or a type of theory that basically says that your thoughts therefore your thoughts impact how you feel and behave. It's actually your thinking. It's not so much the situation that you are exposed to or an event that's happening to you. It's your thoughts about that event that therefore create your feelings and your behavior. So essentially your thoughts and your beliefs about what's happening to you and what's happening in your world is actually what leads to your subjective experience or your emotions. And uh, someone could maybe experience, uh, for example, let's just take a, a roller coaster ride, right? Yes. <laughs> so so one, one person, based on their beliefs about that roller coaster, that I could die on it, it could be a really scary feeling that comes out of that roller coaster ride, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, somebody who loves roller coasters and they believe that they're safe and there's nothing better than having that thrill of excitement. It could be a wonderful joy ride. And I think to me, that is is kind of maybe a, a good example of how um, our beliefs and our thoughts about the events happening in our life then color our emotions in a big way. Yeah. You brought up a perfect situation that we actually bring up in therapy with kids and how to introduce this fancy term called the cognitive model, which is basically breaking down how CBT, what it is and how it impacts us, how our thoughts impact us. It's called the roller coaster story. And we talk to kids about these two different people. One's excited for the roller coaster and one is terrified of the roller coaster. Now they're both facing the same situation. So what elicits, what brings them to a different physiological response? So what's happening in their body? These are basically three types of reactions. So they're what's happening in their body, their behavior. So what they're doing and what they're feeling about it and why are they feeling so differently about it it's actually what they're telling themselves about the roller coaster that's producing those feelings in them and and we use that in therapy to teach this concept to kids that it's what you tell yourself that has the power on how you feel which is amazing so you've actually seen and experienced that cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't just work for adults, but it can also be helpful for children. Is there actually 
research that shows that or is this all anecdotal at this point? Yeah, there is a lot of research out there that shows that cognitive behavior therapy really works for kids. It helps with impulse control. It helps with emotion regulation, anxiety, depression, just as it can help for adults. And um, sometimes it can be hard because children are so young. They don't have the frontal lobe capacity, the development in their frontal lobe, which is basically the part of the brain that's their thinking center. It's the executive function where kind of we like to call it the CEO, the one that plans ahead and children don't have a fully developed frontal lobe. So they wonder Are they even going to get this? Can they understand this concept? But we have seen in research that even introducing these concepts can be really helpful. Yeah, that's really what's gone gone through my mind when I've thought about cognitive therapy for kids. It's like, okay, can they really think through these things? Because I know for most children, um, and maybe I'm mistaken, the real abstract thought takes off more towards adolescence. But from what I'm hearing you say, maybe even before adolescence, you can actually start teaching kids some of these principles. Yeah. So research shows that kids, preschoolers actually as young as four and five, do have an external speech. They kind of talk through their play out loud and teachers can document this. They say, okay, we're going to go over here. Now we're playing. Now I'm cooking with this. Now I'm going to get the spoon. And they kind of talk through their thoughts, which are these words and phrases of what they're doing. And then over time, as we develop that external speech becomes more internal speech. And we don't reveal some of our automatic thoughts that are this ongoing dialogue that we have that could be existing in our head. And sometimes thoughts too are not words or phrases. It can be imagery that we have, like a a picture that pops up in your mind as well. Well, that's really interesting. So then for some some kids, they might actually think more in in pictures rather than just the the linear thoughts or or words per se. So what age do you think would be reasonable to consider starting to apply some of these cognitive behavioral therapy principles with with a child? Well, if we look at the components of the cognitive triad, so we have feelings, thoughts, and behavior. And you can start teaching children at a very young age, as early as 15 months about emotions. You can start introducing books on feelings, talking to them, giving them multiple words for their emotions and how to express themselves. Um, One of our little girls, when she was about three years old, we were hiking and she came to this wooden plank and she really wanted to cross this bridge, this little plank. And she was hesitating. We said, are you, are you scared? And she said, I'm nervous. <laughs> and we thought, wow, this three-year-old saying she's nervous, but because we had given her books, we talked about different feelings. There's all sorts of tools, um, some of which are on my website and feelings games that you can give children the language and give them names to their emotions. This actually helps with impulse control and emotion regulation because you can teach them to name it, name the emotion, to tame it. And that can be really helpful because it's also igniting in their brain, the left side of their brain for language and logic and can help with emotion regulation. It's amazing how sometimes when we just start to 
understand what it is that maybe is bothering us and like you said put a name to it rather than it being this scary monster in the in the closet sort of feeling like i don't know what that is but it's really uncomfortable that in and, in and of itself can actually help the child to start to develop a sense of mastery and and i really love that you know for you of course you've done a lot of the theory and study on the research but you also have that practical application <laughs> for for your children and and it sounds like when you're talking about actually helping kids to deal with um, emotions and deal w- from a cognitive therapy standpoint that really foundational is, like you said, naming the emotion, understanding what that feels like, and not being afraid of the emotion itself, but being willing to actually express and and and, and talk about what is going on inside. Absolutely. One of the biggest emotions that, and in my own home, my parents didn't really know um, because they weren't taught to accept some of our unpleasant emotions. And so kids often fear sadness, but you can actually uh, reinvent this uh, purpose for sadness as a way of teaching them that even feeling sad for a little while, that emotion's not necessarily going to stay forever, but you'll be able to feel sad for a little bit. And then you you have the ability to come out of that sadness and it can have a purpose for, you know, another behavior as well. Wow. So that's really powerful because essentially it sounds like you're teaching the child that, okay, you might have these emotions coming up and you don't always have control per se when sadness comes up or when anger comes up or frustration or nervousness or fear, whatever it is, but there's something you can do to then steer that emotion in a more positive direction. Is that, does that kind of bridge into the, some of the other components of that triangle that you're talking yes. about? Cause you know, we're talked about the feelings part of the triangle, but then there's those two other components. When, when do you start introducing uh, those and how do you do that? There's a really fun way to introduce this concept to them. Um, Dr. Daniel Siegel, who's a clinical, he's a neuroscientist, but he's also has experience working with a, a lot of children. He introduces the hand model of the brain. And basically this is a really fun way to teach kids these two parts of their brain. Um, and you can use your own hand and you kind of are making a picture of what your brain looks like. So you fold your thumb over in the center and that's sort of the center of your brain. Okay, you're showing you them. <laughs> yeah. So this is the limbic system. This is your emotion center. And specifically, Specifically, you know, the amygdala, it's a small almond shape. There's two parts to it in the center of the brain. So this is where your feelings happen. And sometimes we'll be triggered in that emotion. Something's going to happen to you. You will be triggered and that will start alarm alarming off. And especially kids that have been experiencing trauma, et cetera, then that will be a red flag for them. Um, but then there's also a second part and you kind of fold your fingers over to represent this part of your brain, the thinking part of your brain. That's the frontal lobe or and your fingernails are the prefrontal cortex. So this can actually help calm your emotions. Mm. And there's times that we flip our lid <laughs> and that frontal lobe goes offline a little bit. And we, we say that there's things though, you have the power with your thoughts by controlling your thoughts to tame 
by naming those emotions. We can introduce emotions very early at a young age. And then around six to eight years old, they can really understand this concept of cognitions or thoughts that then are impacting. So what you tell yourself is going to make you feel better or worse. And I, and I love this little hand model here because it's it's really like your frontal lobe in a way, your cognitions can kind of hold and almost yes. hug your the yes. emotional part of your brain and bring that back into a calmer, more balanced state instead of it controlling you. Yep. Absolutely. And we want to teach kids that they have the capacity, you know, from a Christian perspective, we can ask for help spiritually from God to help us with that. Um, with that somebody, not somebody's worldview, they can also t- tap into their resources like their teachers and their parents, etc., to help them with calming strategies and come up with a plan, but also recognizing how their thoughts what are they telling themselves that making them feel better or worse? We kind of use the the three C's concept. So the three C's is we want to teach kids to catch the thought that mm-hmm. they are having. Then we want them to examine the thought. Is this thought really helpful? So the second C is check the thought. Sometimes I actually use my hands with kids. They love, you know imagery and play. So we actually catch our thought and then we use our little magnifying glass and we check our thought and then we change the thought if it's not helpful. And um, instead of using big words like rational or irrational, you know, we want kids to understand that there's some thoughts that we have that are not true. They're distorted or tangled or, um, we have stinking thinking. There's lots of different names. We actually have several different examples in a children's book that we wrote. And um, but the main concept is getting them to understand that sometimes our thoughts lie to us. Sometimes our feelings lie to us. And there are multiple questions that you can ask yourself to figure out, is your thought actually true or helpful? Um, but those are the two basic questions that kids, we can teach them to ask themselves. The true or the helpful part. The true or helpful. Oh, that's great. So it sounds like you basically start for most kids, at least with almost this, this uh, basic neuroanatomy sort of lesson and helping them to understand that the way their brain works in a very basic way. But it's interesting because I think even though it's a basic way of explaining it, it's so helpful even for adults to to look at this model of like, okay, here's your emotions and here's your frontal lobe and how those two work together. And then after that, do you then go right into teaching them the three C's? And I'd yeah. love to hear even from your experience dealing with your own kids, how that how that's actually worked. Or maybe sometimes yeah. there's been challenge. I don't know if it's always gone uh, perfectly as a no. therapist or... <laughs> No, definitely not. We we get lots of things wrong in our home. Um, in therapy, we use a lot of worksheets. And so we can actually show them on paper, the three C's. Um, with kids, especially young kids, we have a two, a five, and an almost seven-year-old. And there are different strategies. You can use games. You can use puppets. Um, you can just do role playing, basically. And with really young children, when you're teaching them about their thoughts, you're going to need to help them sometimes. You can't necessarily expect them to answer if their thought is true or helpful. But you would give them polar opposites 
Um, so you would ask them, okay, so if you're upset, uh, that disappointed that we didn't get to do, you know, that fun activity, what's going to help you feel better? Is it, oh, this is so unfair. I hate this. I never get to do what I want. Or is it, I'm disappointed. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm very frustrated that we don't get to do this. But I can find something else to do that could be fun. Which thought do you think would make you feel better? Which thought do you think would make you feel worse? So giving them two polar opposites mm-hmm. is often helpful. We, we try to do that. And there are some days, Dr. Binus, it just all goes out the window and you're back to just managing the emotions, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> just repeating back. I can see that you're feeling frustrated. I'm disappointed too. And so you might need to step back from the thought aspect, depending on their age. I really like giving the the child that those options, because sometimes, especially when they're in that emotional state, it's hard for them to actually Mm -hmm. step out of that box and think through a logical thought at that point. I mean, it's hard enough for us as adults, right? Let alone children. And so in a way, almost being the frontal lobe, the logical part of of the of their brain for them and helping them to guide them through that that thought i it seems like that would then in turn help them to develop those strategies and eventually internalize that themselves absolutely yeah you bring up such a good point though timing is everything you can't do that when their emotions are high you have to focus on calming strategies what can you do right now in this moment that would help you feel more calm and get them calm first sometimes There's not a whole lot you can do, but get them moving, get that circulation going. Why don't you go do some laps? No. Okay. Well, sometimes we have to just allow them to self-regulate. And if nothing we say as parents is working, we have to pull back a bit and say, I'm going to give you some time. I need a time out myself (laughs) and uh, letting them self-regulate or just calming them first later coming back to it. The important key is to come back to it. And sometimes that includes a repair attempt with your own child, but then teaching them and bringing up the importance of their thoughts and how we could think differently. Modeling for them is key. We can be the best example for CBT. There was a a time where I was kind of teaching them low frustration tolerance, which is basically dealing with your frustration and uncomfortable feelings. And I was in pain. I had hurt my finger in the kitchen and I was just holding my finger and breathing, just really having a difficult time experiencing this uncomfortable feeling. And I said, mommy's okay because I noticed the girls were getting distressed. And then my four-year-old at the time, or maybe she was five, she said, but mommy, you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> she was doing some CBT on you. Wow. She did. <laughs> Tasting she your own medicine. Yeah. And, and then you can go further, you know, especially with older kids. And you can start to teach them the types of cognitive distortions because there really are 10 basic cognitive distortions. We don't need to overthink them. You know, they are different, but sometimes there's a thought that can fit into multiple of those distortions. In our book, Millie and Her Tangled Thoughts, we tried to tease them out and put them practically to situations that kids would be able to relate to. So a friend not wanting to play on the playground. 
So then they have this all or nothing distortion. Now, nobody want, nobody at all wants to be my friend. And that's an example of all or nothing thinking. But then Millie, the character has to ask, is that true? Is that helpful? Mm -hmm. So even if there's a group of friends that don't want to play with her in that moment, is it everyone that doesn't want to play? So questioning the truth about it. Let's say that she really feels that way. Let's say in a different example, there is some truth to that fear, anxiety that they're having. Um, is it helpful to dwell on it? See how those two questions really play a huge part and and they're basic and adults even resonate with these questions. Absolutely. And I know we have a copy of your book at our house and we have young children as well. And so we really find it helpful, these principles. And like you said, it's not always a smooth application <laughs> when it comes to trying to really apply these principles, but it can be a lot of fun if you can come at it with the right attitude of, of patience and realizing like, it's okay, this is a learning experience for, for all of us. And, um, you know, I think there's just so much to, to be said for us to start addressing these issues early on in life. So I really want to encourage our, our listeners, uh, for those of you who have children or know people that have young children to check out Kristen's book. I think it's a great resource and it's a great opportunity to actually start working with children at a very young age so that instead of just saying like, oh, you know, negative emotions don't just don't want to deal with them. You want to repress them or whatever. No, identify them, address them, work through them. It helps us realize like these emotions, even the hard ones aren't bad. They're just things that we need to work through and manage in a healthy way. Absolutely. I think it's really important because it helps normalize a child's experience in life. You're giving them practical tools of emotional intelligence, how to step one, recognize my own emotions, how to manage my own emotions, how to recognize emotions in others, how to manage those relationships, and then set goals and have the motivation to achieve those goals. So you're setting a framework and a blueprint that even if you feel, I don't know if my child's getting this, you'll be surprised how much they're absorbing. And pretty soon they'll be calling you out on your language. Mommy, you said always, or you said never. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, you're right. You know, and it's all, she's right. She's able to, to do that with me. Me as long as her tone of voice is respectful about it. <laughs> but, um, you know, we want to give children the best head start that we can give them a blueprint that then later on they're going to say, oh, I remember kind of learning about this. And this is a normal process the way I'm reacting, but I can have some control over how I behave and how I feel about a certain situation. Yeah. And I love those three C's, the catch, the check, check and the change, right? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and, and then along with that simple question, is it truthful and, or is it helpful? Yeah. And then you can start on a very simple level. Well, thank you, Kristen, so much for being with us today. Really appreciate your insight and also developing, taking the time to, to really write this book so that we have a wonderful resource to start helping our children to develop these healthy ways of dealing with emotions, dealing with their cognitions in a simple way that makes it really fun for, for everybody. 
If you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Vinas. I'm Kristen Henley. And you've been listening to The The Brain Brain People People Podcast. Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media, or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 